we've been in this series for a while. And I want to just kind of hit pause on it just for a second. The journey in truth. We, I would think most of us by now are aware that we are living in a world and in a time in our world where truth is not available at a great level. Would everybody kind of, well, you don't have to agree with me. I'm, I'm the one speaking, so I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, yeah, that's the way it is. Okay. And so for those of us who know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, then we have got to understand what truth is. And for us, those of us who know Christ, for us, truth is the Word of God. Now, all of us can sit here and say, yes, that's right. Truth is the Word of God. My only question is, do we know His truth? And then, since we're in the book of James, James asked the, or didn't, he didn't ask the question, he makes a statement. That we are to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Because sadly, so frequently, we will make concessions of intellectual assent that God's word is true with absolutely no plans, no intentional direction to do anything about it. And so when we think about journey in truth, I want to give you a couple things. One is, those of us who have the privilege here of, of speaking, and we're blessed that we can do that, I want you to understand what the Scripture has to say about that. <clears throat> in James chapter 3, verse 1, it says this, since we're in the book of James, let not many of you become teachers, my brother, knowing that as such we shall incur a stricter judgment. So those who speak here know that they're under a whole different set of rules, as it were. Now, that doesn't mean we're perfect. That's not the point. The point is there has to be a standard in our life. That's why the Scripture also says if there's an elder who is not performing well, then it takes two or three witnesses to deal with that. And get that taken care of. All of this is because, and, and you got, by the way, let me stop here. Miss. How many of you have ever read the whole book of James? Raise your hand. Okay, if you have not read the book of James, could I ask you to do that? Read the whole book. Of, this guy pulls no punches. And by the way, you know who this guy is? Who is it? Jesus' half-brother. Right. Now, remember, Jesus' family thought he was crazy. Right? In fact, they would come to take him away because he's a nut job and he's embarrassing the family. Because he was teaching the truth of God and his life was that truth. And yet, here, just a short time after the death of Christ... Here is James, his half-brother, who now, if you go to Acts chapter 15, he's actually leading the church in Jerusalem. So it's, it's almost, and we don't have, other than just Christian tradition, we don't have a total understanding. But this guy, somehow, when Jesus was dead, it went, bing, I get it. 
He was telling the truth. He was telling the truth. Wouldn't it be wonderful if all of us would get that? That we would realize that he was telling the truth. And that truth, under the empowering of the Holy Spirit, is absolutely transform, transformational for us. Because that is what James is saying throughout his book. He's saying, listen guys, God has done everything. Everything. He gave his son as the sacrifice for our sin. He's done everything. So he says we are to give every person that we can the opportunity to hear the truth. But then hearing the truth, those who have heard the truth are responsible for putting that truth into action in their lives by the person and with the power of the Holy Spirit. Guess what? Our responsibility, those that God has called to lead and teach here, is to give you the truth. Whether or not you choose to give application to that truth will be left to you. In fact, this devotion by Oswald Chambers, I really appreciate it, says, when those who are given the responsibility to give God's truth, they must leave the responsibility of the individual application with the person who heard it. So, you're sitting here today, and I'm going to give you truth. And then you will determine how you're going to act on that truth. First of all, let me say this very carefully. If you are here and you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the truth is that Jesus gave his life so we could all have life, eternal life, abundant life, but that life is only through Jesus Christ. So my encouragement, my admonition to you would be, don't leave here today without knowing what it is to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's for every person who's here who doesn't know Christ. The second thing is, for the most Most of us who are here, we have professed to know Christ. And now we will demonstrate that in our whole life. Look what James says. He's a rascal. If anyone, do you know who who that's talking about when it says anyone? Raise your hand. That's us. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, It is sin for them. Now, some might be sitting here and say, what's the big deal? In our discipleship process here, you should get, if you're willing to be a part of it, to a place that you do spiritual life studies. Spiritual life studies is a discipleship tool that was developed by Harold Burchett. Uh, someone we knew years ago. He has now passed away. But Harold does an incredible job of explaining biblically what sin is. So I just want to give him credit and read to you what he says in this discipleship material, Spiritual Life Studies. Sin, first of all, the Bible, the Bible doesn't speak of sin in only one way. Most of us think of sin as what? That nasty, dirty thing I'm not supposed to do, right? 
How many of you, when you were growing up, had this taught to you from your parents? Don't drink. Don't smoke. I'm telling my age. Don't dance. And don't hang around those people that do those things. That was our definition of sin when I was growing up. That's not exactly what the Bible says. First of all, the Bible says that sin is legal guilt. Romans 3.9, Galatians 3.22 states that we're all counted legally under guilt. The record reads guilty. The penalty for that guilt of sin is death. Death here is not the physical death we might think about, but is the separation from God. That's death. When you know that the spirit that is within us, that God put within us, came from him, and now we're separated from him because of the things we've allowed in our life and the fact that there is a legal, a legal mandate against us because we were born in the sin, this death sentence is executed in our lives in inner defilement and carnality. Think about that. God looks at us, his creation. And he looks at the record in his ledger book, and it says guilty. And that is the sin of the world. Behold, John the Baptist said of Jesus, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's not plural, it's singular. Who takes away the sin of the world. Of the world. It's that legal guilt. So Jesus Christ comes and gives his life. And then, by incredible grace, we receive that free gift of salvation. And now the record book says, paid in full. But because of our nature that God gave us so that we could always have free will and free choice. The next thing of sin is inner corruption, that defilement. Paul said in Romans seven seventeen, I know what's right, but I keep doing wrong. I know what's wrong, and I keep doing that instead. But he goes on and says, but who shall deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be unto God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. That is the only deliverance that any of us have. It doesn't matter who we are. That's the second one. First was legal guilt. Second one is inner corruption or defilement. The third one is, the one that most of us think about, is wrong action. The sins of commission, as explained in 1 John 3, 4. But also, as we're talking about today, as this verse says to us, the sin of omission. Knowing the right thing and not doing it. Let me illustrate that for you. The scripture tells me, as a Christian man and husband, in Ephesians chapter 5, that it is my God-given responsibility to love my wife. She's away with the other ladies on retreat. I have missed her. I'm glad that I do. I hope all you guys whose wives are gone, you miss them too. But it is my God-given responsibility to love my wife. If, but wait a minute. To love my wife as Christ loves the church. Ooh, that's not about emotion or feeling. That's about a 
depth of love that can only be obtained and only be expressed by the power and empowering of the Holy Spirit in my life. But it also says in 1 John 4, 18, we talked about it the last couple of weeks, that perfect love casts out all fear. So if, if my wife is going through things in her life that's causing her to be fearful, then what do I need to do, men? What do I need to do? Now step it up. Love her as Christ loved the church. Perfect love casts out all fear. You see, it doesn't matter how many sermons we've listened to. It doesn't matter how many devotions we've read. As James says here in James 1.22, we are to be doers of the word and not hearers only because if we only hear the word and we don't do the word, then we're living in a form of self-deception. That is not what the Christian church is to be. Is that clear enough? I hope. That all of us, whatever it is, and see, here's the, here's the cool thing about us as believers and having our relationship with our Heavenly Father as He deals with us. We all see Him a little differently because of the way He deals with us. Some of us are little rascals, and we need to be dealt with a little differently. And others are like, are you kidding me? How do they keep getting it right over and over and over? It's just, it's like raising your kids. If you have more than one, you know, one's this way, another one's this way. It's the same thing for us as children of God. But because our Heavenly Father loves us as He does, He does in our lives all that needs to be done so that our lives can honor and glorify Him. So He says in this verse, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do, and they don't do it, it is what? It's sin. This is the wrong action that most of us relate to, but only we always think about, as I said, as I was taught as a child, don't drink, don't smoke, don't dance, and don't hang around people who do those things. But the Scripture is also very clear as that we're looking at today. When I know the right thing to do, and I'm not doing it, That is sin as well. And the truth of the matter is, we don't take, how do I want to say this? A better way than what I was just thinking. We need to take life seriously. Not to the point that we take ourselves so seriously. But to realize that God in his infinite wisdom had all this planned out. And see, that's exactly what James is saying. James is saying, listen guys. If you've read those four chapters, God has done everything for us. He has given us everything for life and godliness. Peter writes that in 1 Peter. Everything for life and godliness. We're not missing anything. Now, sometimes we're choosing, we're choosing to miss things. Because the truth is, it's back to where we started in this journey of truth, our issues often are the fact that we want to be our own God. We want to run the show. We want to determine our own destiny. And sadly, often we do. But there is a price and a penalty to pay for that. So James is being very careful with this challenging statement. I I, I read this and I said, 
Really, James? I mean, come on, man. You know, isn't it hard enough that we have this list of stuff we're not supposed to do? But now you're giving us a list of stuff that we're supposed to do. But the kicker is, if we can get this and apply this, the Holy Spirit of God in us. See, we were never intended to live the Christian life. Nobody could except Christ. But the Holy Spirit in us enables us with the grace of God to live the Christian life and walk it out every day in our homes where those emotions can sometimes be a little tedious. In our work where we are doing it unto the Lord. I was able to mention to one of our young ladies here this morning that her testimony at work is that she brings something to the workspace that makes her different from the other workers. Is that not cool? That should be the same in here of all of us. When people look at our families, our families should exemplify something so different than what the world is offering that those who don't have our Christ would want to have him in their personal life. That's how this works. We are the light. We are the salt. But as we also did in a previous message, when we look at our life, and this is everything that we have in Christ and how God has provided everything for life and godliness. We're not missing anything. We are completely whole. And I apologize that my diagram for wholeness is a circle, okay? But as we're living life and we have all this that God has done for us and all that God is doing for us and the work of the Holy Spirit, we also have an enemy. And that enemy will keep beating and beating away at us Beating and beating away at us. Until sometimes we open a door. It can be in myriads of areas. The biggest one, I think, is in the area of unbelief. I got an email from Dr. Samuel Thomas yesterday, and it was talking about the sin of the church. And my response to him was, in my observation... The greatest sin of the church is how we choose not to believe the word of God because then somehow that seems to free us to be disobedient willfully against God's word. In other words, we're still claiming to be our own God. And once that life that God has given us, we've allowed that pounding away and that see that's why it's called the body of christ not the one man of christ or the one woman of christ and by the way just so you know in any family we don't get it all right all the time we mess up it's not our intent but it happens and so what happens frequently in families is and it happens in church Somebody hurt my feelings. Somebody did something right or wrong. Didn't matter. It shouldn't have happened anyway, but it did. And now I have to choose how I'm going to respond to that. Because if I don't handle it quickly, and I've given the enemy an advantage, then he has the opportunity to harass the living daylights out of me. Because I allowed the door to be opened. But the cool thing is, 
God has given us the Holy Spirit so we can close the door. (laughs) Those who don't know me well, um, I like to do woodworking. But I am not a finished carpenter, so you know. And so my family has this little joke about how much caulk I use when I build something. You know, I'm thinking if it's under my thumb width, it's good. Just kidding. But out of that carpentry illustration, as God has taught me and helped me and grown me, what I look at, when I think of that, I say, Lord, I I allow the door to be open. That's my fault. I'm asking you now, with your help, I can close that door, whatever it is. It can be lust. It can be uh, whatever. I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to list sins. I'm just saying for anybody, it can be anything. And when the door is shut, Holy Spirit, here's my, here's my prayer. Holy Spirit, would you caulk that door <laughs> so that it's sealed? In fact, the Bible supports that because it says sealed until the day of redemption. Isn't that cool? By the Holy Spirit. So, if you look at my life and what God has been so gracious with me for and in, there's a lot of caulk. And I'm so grateful that the Holy Spirit is there to help me, guide me, convict me, first of all, because that's how we began to see, wait a minute, there's conviction. See, and this is where it gets a little tedious as a family when, again, no family is perfect. I don't care whose family it is. No family is perfect. So there's mistakes, things that should not have been said were said. Things that should have been said were not said. We can all look back at our families and see that. But when it's all said and done, we are all his kids. And as a result, how we conduct ourselves in life, in every aspect of life, it doesn't matter what it is. We let him have his way. And I know this sounds, but that's the easy way if we let him have his way. When we're as... The scripture said to Saul on Damascus Road as God was converting him into Paul. Jesus said to him, why are you kicking against the goads? And for those who don't know what a goad is, it was a sharp stick used to prod the animals to move them along. And, and have you ever kicked against a sharp stick? Or I used to use the illustration. I've gotten rid of all the pine trees in my yard now. But I used to use the illustration, have you ever kicked a pine cone barefooted? Especially a green one. It's called, ouch, that hurts. Well, that's what what we're doing, often without realizing it, as we're willfully coming against the word of God. We're kicking against the goads. And then we're wondering, well, why does that hurt? Because God loves you so much. He wants you to feel some pain So there can be correction in your life. So we can have that consistency of his presence. So in the context of all that James has written, and particularly what we covered last week and the previous verses to verse 17 here, anything that we are unwilling to submit to God, because Is it not true that we often make decisions that 
We, we haven't even bothered to consult God. That's why some of us, I'm going to be very candid with you. Some of us are finding ourselves in debt that we should not be in. Just because it's easy credit doesn't mean that's what God wants for you. Well, my neighbor's got one. Okay, let him have it. I, I don't have to own everything. It, it's, it's kind of hard for me to say that when you look at my shop because I have a lot of tools. But what I do is I tell God, I say, God, just bless my friends and let them be kind to me. I don't need a boat to keep up. If you got a boat, I'm not picking on boats. There's just a lot of stuff that when you have it, it just creates more work. And, and I got to tell you, I'm trying my best to get that stuff out of my life, not put more stuff in. But this life that I have that God has given me is absolutely perfect, is, is complete. Everything is in him. And all he's asking me to do, and that's what James is talking about here, is be willing to submit my plans to him. Whatever they are. And whatever it involves. And be willing. And see, this is where maybe the kicker is. Be so intentional about your relationship with God that you know what it's like to hear when he's talking to you. Well, that's huge. That's so huge. In fact, it tells us in Hebrews that one way we can know that we're maturing is when we can know the difference between good and evil. You know what that means? That means I can know the difference when God is talking to me and God is working and when the enemy is doing something. I can know the difference in this level of maturity. God wants every child of God to be no matter who we are. All of that, all of that is James saying this is how this plays out. This is how this is supposed to be. We don't have attitudes that are sinful and arrogant and short-sighted. But when we're telling God that we're not willing to involve him in our plans, that's exactly what it is. And then looking at the whole book, and I know we haven't covered the whole book, and we're not planning to at this time, but looking at the whole book, the whole thing was, why is there such a mess here? Why is it? And he's writing to Christians. He's writing to people like us. He says, why is it all this stuff is going on? And it's real simple. You're still trying to do your junk, your way, and your time, and you're not letting God be God. And he's talking to Christians. I'm delighted that James is so blunt. I need that. I need somebody to look at me and say, hey, this is wrong. I, I can think of the times in the years gone by where I would be getting ready to make a decision. I remember one, man, I was, whew, I was at a bad place. I mean, I was really at a bad place and, and I'm ready to make this decision. And my decision is going to affect a lot of people. And one of my friends and I would normally have a time of prayer together. It was on a Wednesday and would normally have a time of prayer together. And he called that morning. He said, I'm sorry, something came up. I can't come. I said, yes, you can. I got to have you come today. I need that time with you in prayer. And then unexpectedly, another friend of mine from Florida walks in the door at the same time. And we're there in my office. And I'm telling you, it was on that day because I was so determined that all those things that had been done against me were going to be dealt with in a very... <laughs> prejudicial response and through that time with those wonderful men of God the Holy Spirit finally got back to his place in my life where he should have been all the time 
But I was so determined about the wrong that had been done and the injustice and all that should be dealt with. And and those people were going to pay the price. And that day, in that office, on my knees with those two friends, the Spirit of God broke me and convicted me and changed me. And guess what? (laughs) All those folks that I was so upset with, God changed them too. But only after I was willing. And I got to tell you, that was one of those times, and there's only been a few of those where I was kicking and screaming and the whole time. I mean, I was, I mean, right was on my side. And it was. But that didn't make me right in my attitude and my planned action. That I wasn't at that moment willing to let God in. But I'm telling you before him as my witness what he did in my life that day, I will eternally be grateful. Because sending me those two men, having them there with me, praying with me, that's why it's called the body of Christ. Find people. Get the people who pray. Find the people who are willing to invest in your life. And none of them are perfect. They're just like you. But we learn. We grow together. That's why we do discipleship here. And we're going to be more intentional. We've dropped the ball. And that's our fault of being truly intentional about discipleship. Something we've done for years and years and years. Very planned, very systematic, but also very relational. This is a day where God is looking for those who are willing to be doers and not just hearers. That means when you read the Bible or listen to it, however your method of receiving it is, you will say, Holy Spirit, help me, help me to know how to do this. And as you grow in that relationship, as you grow in understanding of hearing his voice, because he speaks to us through his word, and then the Spirit of God nudges us and helps us and reveals to us, and it's just... It's it's so important. You you can hear me say on a frequent way, well, God God said to me. And and the thing that I, my measure is, the, what he said to me, is it according to his word? If it isn't, then I don't receive it. But if it is, I better be applying it. So doers of the word, would you all stand? What is God saying to you right now? Excuse me, let me speak up. What is God saying to you right now? Of his word that you've read or heard or somehow you've received it. And you just haven't done it yet. You've just heard it. But didn't do it. We're going to have a time of prayer. If you want to come forward, you're welcome to come forward and pray. You don't have to. It's your choice. But if there's something 
that God has been speaking to you about. And for whatever reason, you've chosen not to do that. Let this be the day that you commit with the help of the Holy Spirit of God to change that. And it, in a crowd this size, it could be all sorts of stuff. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are our counselor and our comforter. But you're also our convictor. So any area in my life or the life of any person who is here, that you are ministering grace to them for them to know that there's something that you have led them to and they have yet to respond to do. Let their let our hearts be tendered toward you, God. Let us pull down those idols. As James tells us, because when we live that way, we're adulterous in our relationship with you because we're worshiping something. And, and basically what it means is we're having an affair with somebody else rather than you, God. And sometimes it's with our own ego and our own plans and purposes. So would you set people free today, God? Free to obey the word. Your word says when we know the truth, the truth sets us free. So free some people here today. Free all of us here. And, and not just in these moments, but in the days to come. That we are the light. We're the, we're the salt that you've chosen in this time, in this season of the world where there's so very little truth being available to us. And yet we, here we are as vessels of truth. And so let it spill into our world from our lives. As the apostles on the day of Pentecost and those with them spilled out on the streets of Jerusalem, let us spill out on the streets of Chester and the surrounding area with your truth so lives can be changed for your glory. Set us free. Please, God, set us free today. Free to be doers of the word. Put away the pretense. Put away all the religious structure. We break all those off. And it's free people. We choose. We choose to obey you. In Christ's name. Amen.